Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A group of friends finds themselves living in an idyllic environment. Life for them is pretty great, filled with adventures and engaging characters. But that's not to say there aren't challenges. And the biggest challenge of all constantly looms over them, threatening the very world they live in. But this forces them to take action. To combat this existential threat means joining forces with others to protect their home and the people they love. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, we travel back to revisit the iconic Canadian cartoon that was groundbreaking in both its content and creation. This is the story of The Raccoons. I grew up in Canada, and that meant access to both American and Canadian networks and programming. I also grew up with a younger sister and brother, so our TV was tuned in to all the 80s classics you'd expect. G.I. Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony, Strawberry Shortcake, The Gobots, Gem and the Holograms. It was pretty standard. And there were often, let's call them spirited disagreements about who got to watch what and when. But despite age differences and interests, there was one cartoon we all could agree on. The Raccoons. This was one of just a few shows that seemed to cater to everyone in my household. Growing up in Canada, I didn't know how much of a Canadian production The Raccoons really was. And it was a very unique one at that, emerging and standing out during a time of excessive cartoon commercialism and an era when creativity often took a backseat in favor of commerce. The Raccoons is a Canadian animated series that first debuted in 1985. Bert Raccoon lives in the evergreen forest with a raccoon couple named Ralph and Melissa Raccoon. Next, there's the evil Cyril Sneer. He's an aardvark and a scheming industrial millionaire. Sneer's goal is to destroy the forest where the raccoons live for his own financial gain. The true essence of this show is how the raccoons will continuously save the forest and thwart Cyril. There are other characters that are introduced over the course of the cartoon series, but we'll catch back up with that series in a bit, as the origin of the raccoons goes back earlier than 1985, right to the beginning of the 1980s. Created by Kevin Gillis and Gary Dunford, the raccoons began as a one-time TV special. Dunford was a writer, and Gillis had the ability to write and also create music. In a 1985 interview with the CBC, Gillis explains how he and Gary Dunford were working on another show together. 
and during the downtime, dreamt up the idea of the raccoons. Originally envisioned as a live-action show, possibly in the mold of the Muppets, the idea evolved into animation. But an animated series about raccoons was a tough sell. Without any imagery of the evergreen forest or even some of the characters, it was a tough pitch. Would people like the characters and premise? Could human-like raccoons connect with kids? This story goes back to the 1970s, and it's years before the explosion of children's content in the 80s that we all know and love. At the midway point of the 80s, with so much competition and children's advertising restrictions lifted, networks seemed to take a chance on absolutely anything. Eventually, we got cartoons about a sentient Rubik's Cube and a show about a teenager that morphs into a sports car. Any licensed product could be a cartoon. Pac-Man? Absolutely. Cubert? You bet. How about a Potato Heads cartoon, but they're in kid form? Greenlight it. What about two separate cartoon shows about dinosaurs? One called Dink and the other called Denver. The latter who was in fact the last dinosaur. We had those too. There were just so many cartoon offerings trying to be the next big thing. For every gigantic hit like Transformers and My Little Pony, we got Shirt Tales, Chuck Norris Karate Commandos, and Laverne and Shirley in the Army. Those were actual cartoon shows from the 1980s. During a time of immense competition, it seemed like nothing was off limits when it came to kids' cartoons. But before the wild west of commercials masquerading as cartoon shows kicked in, the network seemed a little more restrained and flooding the airwaves with cartoon content. This was mostly because, legally, they had to be, as excessive commercialism directed toward children was heavily regulated. So it turns out that going into the 80s, cartoon raccoons were actually a tough sell. But this didn't stop Gillis. After years of development, the first raccoon special, called The Christmas Raccoons, aired here in Canada in December 1980. Ah, Cedric, my boy, look at this fine specimen, ripe and waiting for me to cut it down. <laughs> but, but, Pop, don't you think we've got enough trees? Enough? Enough? There's never enough! Originally intended as a one-off special and the only appearance of the raccoons, this Christmas special establishes some of the elements that will be used in the cartoon series, including the Evergreen Forest, Cyril Sneer, and a few other characters we'll cover in a bit. The special was created here in Canada by Gillis Wiseman Productions and animated in Ottawa at the Atkinson Film Arts Animation Studio. This is the same place that created a few Care Bears TV specials, The Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin, and the 1981 animated science fantasy anthology, Heavy Metal. Narrated by the legendary Rich Little, the Raccoon's Christmas special had its first run syndication in the U.S. just a few days after it aired in Canada. And it was an enormous hit in both countries, both critically and ratings-wise. According to the Toronto Star, the Raccoon's Christmas special was the number one syndicated special in the U.S. in 1981. The special was also sold to broadcasters in countries like New Zealand, Australia, Denmark, the Philippines, and Spain. 
The next raccoon special was in 1981 called Raccoons on Ice, followed by The Raccoons and the Lost Star from 1983 and The Raccoons Let's Dance from 1984. These specials were so popular, they ended up being sold to over 30 countries and translated into five languages. Going into 1985, and because of the profound success of the raccoons, it was time for a full animated series. Launched by Evergreen Productions, the animated series was a collaboration between several companies. The show was financed by Telefilm Canada's Broadcast Fund, the Disney Channel in the U.S., and another American company, Embassy Video. But all the production took place in Canada. The Raccoons featured some notable voice talent. Burt Raccoon was performed by Len Carlson. Carlson was in some big 1980s cartoons like The Popples, Care Bears, and the 1988 Cops cartoon. Carlson was also the original voice of the Green Goblin from the 1967 Spider-Man series. Melissa Raccoon was voiced by Linda Feige, who also provided voices for the Babar series. In the first two specials, the voice of Melissa Raccoon was performed by singer Rita Coolidge, who sang Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher and Higher, as well as the theme song All Time High, that you may remember from James Bond. Ralph Raccoon was voiced by Bob Dermer, who Canadians would also know as the voice of Sam from today's special. Dermer also provided voices for Canadian public school French classroom staple Telefrancais. Bonjour, allo, salut. How great was it when that TV and VCR got rolled into the classroom? Cyril Sneer is voiced by Michael Maggi. And another interesting one is Schaefer the Sheepdog, performed by Carl Bannis. You've probably heard his voice every year growing up, as this is the voice of the head elf from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special. Bannis was also the voice of the Jelly Pistol and the Misfit Elephant in the iconic special. Going into the debut of the cartoon series in 1985, the raccoons had a huge advantage over other newly released animated series. They had already been successful on TV. Thanks to the four earlier specials, the creators of the raccoons already had a good idea of what was working and what wasn't. They already had valuable audience feedback and were able to analyze what made the specials so successful. In the 1985 interview, Kevin Gillis explains how they were able to get information from broadcasters and distributors from around the world about what had already connected with audiences. They knew what specific characters and character traits were connecting with younger viewers. There really weren't any other cartoons that had this type of built-in market research. A show like Gem and the Holograms or Voltron had to approach the launch of their cartoon series not knowing exactly what was going to work. They didn't have 30 countries of broadcasters available to provide feedback on previous content. A lot of what we saw on TV in the 1980s was pretty hit and miss. This was an era with an explosion of new licensed characters and a time when networks had to throw everything at the wall to see what stuck. There was so much competition that years spent in development and testing for new content 
wasn't really an option. In the 1980s, when it came to children's programming, it seemed as if time was of the essence. Sure, they didn't transform or fire lasers, but the raccoons had a tremendous advantage on other cartoons because of their already established success. Because of all the information they had from audiences and broadcasters worldwide, it was easy to shape and hone the show and the characters for an animated series. Because of all the crucial feedback, the creators could dial up certain aspects of the characters that were working while downplaying things that weren't. There really wasn't a lot of guesswork with the raccoons. For people who would be seeing the raccoons for the first time or for those with vague memories of the specials, the beginning of each episode brings us up to speed with the world of the raccoons. We learn that the evergreen forest is quiet, peaceful, and serene. That is, until Bert Raccoon wakes up. Luckily, he has some good friends to help him out. Life would be simple in the forest, except for Cyril Sneer. And his life would be simple, except for the raccoons. The first few raccoon specials were big hits, but those were one-time events. Would a full series capture the magic of the original specials and engage audiences enough to keep tuning in week after week? The results would surprise everyone. Everything 80s will return after these messages. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not surprisingly, with all the previous success and valuable insights, The Raccoons was an immediate hit when it launched in the fall of 1985. Just three weeks after the cartoon series launched in Canada, it was already attracting over 2 million viewers. These were pretty astonishing numbers when you consider that in 1985, the entire population of Canada wasn't quite 26 million people. Also, not surprisingly, most of the audience were younger viewers. And interestingly, the age range of those younger viewers was from about two years old up to 11. That's a pretty significant range. If you think how a 10 year old kid is going to have much different interests than say a three year old, the raccoons had an appeal that not many other cartoons could compete with. A two and a half year old kid will happily watch Sesame Street, Polka Dot Door, or Play School, while an 11 year old might be more inclined to more action, adventure, or fantasy based cartoon shows. It can be pretty hard to get an 11 year old and a three year old to agree on the same show. But everyone seemed to be happily watching the raccoons together. It seems as if my household wasn't the only one where a wide age range between siblings wasn't a detractor from viewing this show. Another interesting thing is that The Raccoons was unique for being an animated series that aired in Canada in prime time. And as mentioned, a lot of people were watching. The Raccoons was the second highest rated show on the CBC 
beaten out only by long-running Canadian institution Hockey Night in Canada. If you're Canadian, you know what an incredible feat that was in the 80s. The Raccoons was also the ninth most watched show for all programs aired in Canada, whether they were Canadian or American. That's all shows. Family Ties, 60 Minutes, Monday Night Football, The Cosby Show, Knight Rider, Magnum P.I., all of them. Again, a pretty astonishing achievement. In the U.S., the Raccoons actually debuted earlier, launching in the summer of 1985 on the Disney Channel. With strong scripts, music, and animation, the Raccoons clearly hit on a winning premise. The voice actors brought the characters to life, and this influenced the animation style, which was driven and influenced by the voice performances. I also really think it was the music that helped solidify the Raccoons as such a beloved hit. The theme song, Run With Us, was composed by Gillis, John Stroll, and Stephen Lunt. A big part of the budget was spent on the music, but I think this was very crucial as that music created such a specific tone and ambiance to the show that you just didn't see in other cartoons. The Raccoons was also a very unique show during a time of rapidly changing children's entertainment. By this point in the mid-80s, most of the shows we saw on TV were created to sell toys. The Raccoons was completely different. It was created for entertainment first, and the merchandise came later. For most 80s cartoons, the toys and products came first, and the cartoon was created to serve and support and promote the toy line. But that's not to say the raccoons wasn't a merchandising machine. Far from it, in fact. There were a ton of raccoons products out there, including stuffed animals, slippers, even records. The difference was that the specials and series weren't 22-minute long commercials for toys. Because of the success of the raccoons, it was other companies that approached the show about licensed products. And there was just something warm and engaging about the raccoons. Many kids' cartoons of the 80s were loud and violent. The raccoons took the opposite approach. There was more introspection, strong character development, and some pretty impressive music. For parents sick of laser battles and overstimulating flashing action cartoons, the raccoons presented a pleasant alternative. The show just seemed more calming than the barrage of loud, in-your-face content that dominated Saturday mornings and after school. There was a more sophisticated element to the raccoons. And this was a character-driven show, as the characters on the raccoons went through significant growth and self-realization. This is a cartoon that went beyond just a simple formula of good versus bad, as all the characters had layers to them. Even the evil Cyril Sneer. It's easy to think of him as a Mr. Burns-type character, but deep down, he actually has a conscience, and even some empathy. We didn't exactly see characters like Megatron consider the consequences of his actions, and how his decisions could affect others. 
It's not that the big mainstream cartoons of the 80s didn't follow character arcs and continuing narratives, but the end result for those other shows was to sell a new playset. The raccoons taught lessons about compassion and caring. It didn't try to shove those lessons down our throats, but respected the viewers to uncover the themes explored in the show. The raccoons challenged us to think about what we were watching, even if it was about something simple like friendship and teamwork. The raccoons also had a strong focus on something you didn't necessarily see that often in 1980s kids' entertainment, environmentalism. The focus on ecology goes all the way back to that original Christmas special and the threat of deforestation. This continued in the second special, Raccoons on Ice, where Cyril Sneer tries to build a dome over top of the lake where the raccoons play hockey. Throughout the series, the theme of environmentalism continued to be explored, as did corporate greed, all reflected through the character of Cyril Sneer. But it wasn't exactly common to see climate issues covered in 1980s content, especially in a kid's cartoon. The series' focus on environmentalism even won the show a Canadian Federal Minister of the Environment's Achievement Award for Communicating Environmental Awareness. As the show continued, a few things changed. After the first season, Gillis and producer Sheldon Wiseman set up their own animation studio called Hinton Studios. The new studio opened in Ottawa, Ontario, keeping the production of the show within Canada. This studio eventually turned into Lacewood Productions and provided animation for a number of episodes from the first season of Ren and Stimpy. Over the next seasons of The Raccoons, we also saw changes in the use of certain characters. In the early days, there were more human characters such as Dan the Forest Ranger and his family. The Raccoons lived in a hidden world of sorts that existed in the human world. The humans are unaware of this raccoon world, kind of like Fraggle Rock and how the Fraggles experience their own world unbeknownst to the surrounding humans. But after that first season, the focus switches to the raccoon world and we get fully immersed in their customs and way of life. Over the coming seasons, we get more acquainted with Cyril's son Cedric, originally voiced by Rich Little in the first three specials, and then taken over by Marvin Goldhar. Goldhar provided voices for a ton of classic 80s cartoons, such as Star Wars Droids and the Ewok cartoon. He was in Alf Tales, the short-lived, infamous Garbage Pail Kids series, and the Care Bears, among many others. There are other characters, like Cedric's girlfriend Sophia Tutu, Bentley Raccoon, Lisa Raccoon, and Snag the Dog. There are also other animal characters like the pigs and the bears that serve as bumbling security and henchmen for Sneer. Here in Canada, the raccoons started out on Monday nights for the first season. Then for the next two, aired on Sunday nights in a powerhouse time block that included the wonderful world of Disney and Fraggle Rock. For the fourth season, it aired Wednesdays and then Tuesdays for the final season. The final episode of The Raccoons aired in Canada in March 1991. It did, however, continue on in the U.S. until the summer of 92. By the end of its run, The Raccoons ran for five seasons 
and a total of 60 episodes and four specials. By the end of its run, The Raccoons was a show with true universal appeal and was seen in an astonishing 180 countries. The Raccoons was also groundbreaking in that it was one of the very first Western animated series acquired by China Central Television. The Raccoons was also unique in that it, along with another Canadian created show, Raggle Rock, was one of the first few Western shows acquired by Russia State Television. Over the course of the series, The Raccoons appealed to people in countries all around the world, but it also shared some Canadian identity. The Evergreen Forest looks like it could be set in British Columbia, but also looks like the Gatineau Hills that run through Ontario and into Quebec. The show featured true character progression, as the once-evil Cyril Sneer ends up becoming more of a friend to the raccoons. Various characters on the show also experience their own journeys of self-discovery. The characters on the show were far from perfect, but that was a big part of the appeal, and it helped make them so relatable. The characters in the world of the Evergreen Forest have to learn how to coexist, and lessons like this weren't heavy-handed, but presented in a more sophisticated manner. This was a show that featured smart writing during a time when we didn't always see that on network cartoons. Despite having a younger viewing audience, the raccoons never punched down to viewers and respected their intelligence as it taught lessons about acceptance and inclusion. Raccoons, the real-life animal, cause me a bit of trouble these days, antagonizing my dog and scattering my garbage everywhere. But the cartoon raccoons are a beloved memory that stood out during a time of excessive commercialism and loud, abrasive cartoon shows. The raccoons has stood the test of time, with many people still loving it to this day. This has led to a remastering of the original 35mm prints into 4K and 8K scans for release on DVD, Blu-ray, and various streaming services. The Raccoons is a show that meant a lot to millions of people and is like good old comfort food. It's a show that people who grew up watching are now showing to their kids. It has a timeless appeal and lessons that have made it as relevant now as when it first aired. As I said at the start of this episode, The Raccoons was one of the few shows my siblings and I could all agree on to watch, which, in my household growing up, really speaks to how unique and impactful The Raccoons really was. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from. And here are some more suggestions for further listening. A good companion piece of this episode is my show all about the rise of cable TV in the 80s. I also have specific shows devoted to classic 80s cartoons such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Gem and the Holograms. But there are a ton of previous episodes that dive back into all aspects of the decade we love so much. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get them sent to you every time I release a new episode. If you're in a position to do so, you can consider supporting this show by becoming a member of Patreon.com. That's a platform to get access to bonus audio content, which includes the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, 
where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. If you want to learn more, you can head over to patreon.com slash 80s. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s or click on the link in the description. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.